Good morning, everybody. There we go. We are jumping all around today. I hope you got a handout in front of you that may make uh, life a little bit easier for you today. Um, yes. Uh, I, I noticed I noticed the bacon sausage, which is just great to say, even you know bacon sausage. Um, as I was walking up, and my brain went to that would have been a great uh, breakfast to have the last week we studied Galatians. As here is an example of freedom from the law. Bacon wrapped sausage, right? I mean that's just hard to beat. So good stuff. Um, so today is week seven of Ordo Salutis, and that means the order of salvation. That's your first blank on your handout. Um, we've spent uh, three weeks or four weeks looking at the stuff that happened before salvation. That was foreknowledge, predestination, election, sin, atonement, propitiation, evangelism, conviction, and calling. Working on my auctioneering skills. Um, November, we're looking at the stuff that happens at the moment of salvation. Repentance, faith, conversion, regeneration. That's what we did the last two weeks. Today is justification and redemption, and then next week is adoption and reconciliation, and then in December we'll look at all the stuff that happens after the moment of salvation, sanctification, mortification, evidence, perseverance, eternal security, and glorification. There's a lot of stuff here, um, and I've been loving it. Um, I have never done as in-depth a study on each of the aspects of salvation as this, nor have I ever participated in any academic class that did as in-depth a study on the aspects of salvation as this, and I've had a whole bunch of those, so I've really kind of had fun geeking out with this one, so that's where it is. So today, the first word up is justification, and um, I've thought about calling Marty Lastly this week and borrowing like his judgely robes and bringing a gavel in and just teaching the whole class in robes, and then I knew we would have a visitor walk in and they'd be like, what the heck did I get into here? That's, That's cool. Um, but the shorter definition of justification is God decrees. Um, and the, the, the thought behind this is that God is the right and true judge. And whatever he decrees is right and true. But justification is the judicial act whereby God declares the sinner righteous because of the finished work of Jesus. So it's, it's not a justification because of what I have done. It is the justification of what I believe that someone else has done. Um, and, and really, this is one of those dividing lines between the major uh, religions of the world, uh, and especially between the major uh, sections of Christianity. Um, If you think about the Protestant Reformation, this is one of those things that that caused the Protestant Reformation was this theological fault line, is what Wikipedia calls it. I thought it was a great phrase, uh, that that divided the Catholics from the Protestants during this during this uh, phase. So if you look at the little uh, chart I've put in your notes there, it's just straight off of Wikipedia. It was great. This is like the most theologically correct thing I've ever found on Wikipedia. Pretty cool stuff. Um, so you got the traditions on the right-hand side, so Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, uh, and then Reformed and Calvinist. Whether this is a process or an event, and what that means is was this instantaneous or is this over time that involves some type of action, uh, synergistically speaking. So we've, we've talked about Synergism and monergism. Synergism is we and God working together to accomplish some peace. Uh, monergism is God acting alone in some aspect. And divine monergism is more specifically not just me acting alone, but the God side of the equation acting alone. If you look over on the far left-hand side, you see the justification and sanctification. Uh, so the Catholics would see this 
from a permanence perspective is that it can be lost via a mortal sin. So if you've ever, if you're familiar with the Catholic faith, uh, there are several mortal sins that if you commit these, you've got a real problem. Um, and there may or may not be a way around that or out of that, um, but they would view justification and sanctification as part of the same process because there is a works aspect to their interpretation of salvation. Does that make sense? So the, the act by where which you are declared righteous is connected to your involvement in your sanctification. That's the, the Roman uh, Catholic view there. So Lutheran uh, would see this as distinct from and prior to sanctification, but can also be lost, uh, so that your justification could be lost. So this is the lack of eternal security is the concept here. Methodist uh, is dependent upon continued sanctification. It gets really fuzzy here. Um, but they believe that it can be lost due to a lack of faith. So if I, if I decide I no longer believe, then, then I am no longer saved. Uh, and it's dependent upon me as opposed to the Lutheran view, which is if I decide I'm, I no longer believe, then God withdraws his justification decree. Does this make sense? So then even less confusing, I think, is the Reformed or Calvinistic line. And this is the line that we would fit in the best of these four buckets. Uh, we would see this as an event that happens immediately upon salvation. This is divine monergism. This is God holding the the gavel and banging it and making a declaration. This isn't me holding it with him or helping him or telling him what to do. Um, the blank there on the permanence is it cannot be lost. Once God bangs his gavel, that judgment is final. There is no appeals process, soteriologically speaking. It's you're in or you're out. And once he decides, it is what it is. Um, so we would say that the justification and sanctification are both a result of union with Christ, that they are distinct things in and of themselves, but they are dependent upon some connection with Jesus Christ in order for us to be justified. So I realize that was a little heavy to start the Sunday school lesson with. Some of you are looking at me, oh my goodness, that's the most complicated thing we'll cover today. Don't worry, that's it. And we'll kind of ease back around into some things. So let's look at the words. So Strong 66-63, the verb means justify. Uh, Sadak, uh, to do or bring justice in administering the law. Um, the first verse I think I have there for you is Psalm 19-9. This is the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. That's the Sadak altogether. And the blank there is God is the only judge that always judges rightly. Um, we in our political system have three branches of government, right? What are the three branches of government? Anybody know? Executive, that's the, the president. There's the legislative, that's the, the houses, right? The Congress. Um, and the, the judicial branch, and that's the Supreme Court and all the ancillary courts that are connected to them. Um, have you, in your opinion ever considered the fact that judges in our country may have made a mistake at some point? Okay, that's pretty, that was a pretty hearty, I think if I asked for an amen, I would get an amen, wouldn't I? Yeah. Um, so we all intimately understand this concept that we are human and we mess up, right? And unfortunately, when a judge, when a human judge messes up, there are ripples in the water for a long period of time. 
And sometimes those ripples are very, very difficult to go and to gather back up and to smooth the water back out when a mistake has been made. Um, so I, if I think about the, the most atrocious decisions that a judge can make that are wrong is, would be declaring somebody guilty of murder that did not, in fact, murder someone and then sending that person to the death penalty and them dying as a result of a bad decision. And we look at that and we go, oh my goodness, this is just horrible. This is awful. I mean, this is, this is a tragic, tragic, what's the word I'm trying to say? Travesty. Travesty, thank you, of justice. Um, that's what three and a half hours of sleep will do for you. So help me out with my words today, Beth, okay? Awesome, thank you. Um, so God is the only judge that always judges rightly. And, and there is a tremendous amount of comfort and peace in knowing that, right? Um, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a series sometime in 2014 of the, the things that God cannot do. Uh, we tell our kids regularly that God can do anything, God can do anything, God can do anything. And the reality is that's just wrong. God can't do anything. There are very clear limitations on what he can and cannot and will and will not do. And every single one of those restrictions is good for us. It's just like God can't judge incorrectly. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't ever have to worry about him waffling one day on Jesus. Like, you know, I said Jesus was the way, but I've changed my mind, and now the law is this. Nope. It's done. And it's great. This is good for us. This is safety and security for us. So the next verse in your notes there is Isaiah 53. Uh, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquity so Isaiah 53 is looking forward and talking about who Jesus right so Jesus is going to come and Jesus is going to justify many and that's exactly what he did and then the last verse of that word is Daniel 12:3 those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever so those folks that sit and go, I am pointing people to Christ. I am pointing people to Christ. What the Bible says about them, they are wise and they shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and that like the stars shining forever and ever. And that is beautiful. It's an encouragement to us, right, around this concept of justification. So the next word is the Greek word, dikaio. Uh, you like that? That's what happens when you put four vowels in a row. You get fun sounds like that. Uh, Matthew eleven nineteen. this just means to, to declare, um, to render righteous. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. Fli- I love that word, wine-bibber. When was the last time you used that in casual conversations? Right? A friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. And you go, I think I need to think about that for a second. Right? It's one of those little philosophical statements in Scripture. This, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean the ends justify the means. It means that sometimes truth takes time to show value. Sometimes it takes a little soak time before you see the value in a thing coming out. Uh, I, I would equate this with uh, my wife does this fantastic uh, chicken we had some the other night in the crock pot. You familiar with crock pot? Is crock pot fast or slow? Very slow. There's a difference between the crock pot and the microwave, right? Uh, Bill Brandenburg calls my generation the generation that taps our foot because we're impatient at the microwave. Ever been impatient with the microwave? You're like, we're, we cannot possibly cook the food any faster than we're going right now, and yet I'm impatient with this. And the whole idea of the crock pot is it takes time. It takes a long time, hours and hours and hours. But the result of it, ooh, it's very good. It's a very good output. 
And, and sometimes wisdom is justified by our children and we don't see immediate results to a situation. Sometimes this scenario has to play out and it has to have children. And sometimes wisdom is justified by our grandchildren. We look back and we go, that was a really good choice or this was a really bad choice based on the ripple effects in the water later on. So next verse, uh, Romans 3. Just open your Bibles up to Romans 3. It would just be easier because this word is just slathered all through Romans 3. It's kind of awesome. This is like the justification chapter in the Bible. So Romans 3, look at verse 20. Um, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be, there's the word justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be, the, that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in, of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And, and the justification that Paul is talking about here, if you think about the creation of a man. So a man now exists, and a man grows up, and he comes to the point where he places his faith in Christ. Okay? So the podium will be faith in Christ. So I, I place my faith in Christ. Paul is looking forward to the faith in Christ, going... I am justified, my salvation is justified but in the eyes of God by my faith in Christ. And then we keep looking, keep looking down um, to James 2.24. It says, uh, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And you go, well, Paul just made this really lengthy argument that, that we're justified by faith, right? Well, James says we're justified by works. How do we... How do we reconcile this? Well, James is on this side of salvation. James is talking to believers, looking back, saying, yes, 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 yes. If all you have is this decision and there's nothing from here to here, remember, justification is just a decree, right? It's a decree. So if I'm justified by my works, I'm decreeing that there's something here giving evidence to the fact that that actually happened. It's two sides of the same coin. Paul is looking forward to the salvation. James is looking backward on the salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what salvation is. But there's an evidence piece. You heard me talk about it just a minute ago in the sections that we're going to talk about in December for salvation is this sanctification and mortification and evidence. This evidence is important. It's where we get our some of our confidence about our salvation, some of our assurance about our salvation comes from looking at our own lives and saying, yeah, there's an evidence of a change there. So that's a good thing. So the blank says, Paul and James agree, faith justifies in the eyes of God and works justifies in the eyes of man. So it depends on which direction you're looking at. So they're both true. Did I skip any verses there? think I'm good. All right. Um, so Strong's 1345, uh, righteousness. The Greek word is uh, dikaioma, um, that which has been declared right, that which is, it's a judicial sentence or a judgment. Um, Romans 518, therefore as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. So who's the one man? Who? Adam. It's always bugged me because if you look at Genesis 3, who does it appear sinned first? Eve. And who gets the blame? 
Adam? That's right. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. Uh, for for uh, his safety, let's remove that from the podcast in case we can hear that. Yeah, um, yeah, because Adam was responsible. There's a responsibility of the man in any marriage that he's accountable for these results. And if you go back, actually, if you go back and you look and read the text a little closer, it says um, she ate the fruit and gave it to her husband who was with her. It's kind of like he, I think he was standing like right there. He was probably going, ah, it's yeah, he probably was. He's probably going, I wonder how that tastes. Yeah, okay, great. Let me have some. He eats some. Well, he's responsible. He's accountable. As one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation for all of us, even so through one, capital M, one man's righteous act, free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And the beautiful thing I love about the scriptures is that if you look at this, the story of the Bible, if it doesn't underscore anything else, it underscores that there's this beautiful arc of justification and redemption that runs through the whole thing and the value and the impact that one man can have. Adam wrecked the whole thing. He literally broke the earth. He literally broke the earth. Jesus comes along and he literally fixes it. And he gives us hope that he's going to finish the rest of that job one day and completely just do, you know, reboot version 2.0. Here we go, brand new. Beautiful. One man can make a huge, huge difference. So even though, even so through one man's righteous act, that's the word there, uh, the Greek word for uh, justification, the free gift came to all resulting in justification of life. And then the last word, uh, Strong's 1347, uh, diakosis, uh, the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him or justification. So uh, again, that word shows up in Romans 5.18. So that's the justification piece. So we'll switch gears and look at redemption. Um, and I, I changed my mind on the definition of this word. I have it in my notes. I'm going to go with this. But when I originally did this and laid out all the words, I had the definition of redemption as God buys because that's what I'd been taught for my entire life, is that redemption is about buying something back. Well, that's true, but that buying something back has a purpose in the scriptures when it's dealing with people. When it's dealing with stuff, it's just, I buy it to own and that's it. When it's dealing with people, it's buying it to free it, to free them. So, the short definition here is God frees. God frees, F-R-E-E-S, not F-R-E-E-Z-E. That'd be weird. Okay. God frees. So the longer def- definition is God's uh, gracious act of freeing us from the bondage of our sin through the purchase of ourselves by the blood of Jesus. So he's, he's buying us with the blood of Jesus to free us from our sin. So we muck the whole thing up, and then he just fixes it. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And we see this in the Old Testament um, this word shows up about 180 times in the Old Testament, some variation of it. So, I mean, redemption is just, just all over the Old Testament. The specific books that it shows up the most, Leviticus, Ruth, Psalms, and Isaiah. I mean, it's just covered in those books. So the first word is uh, 1350, is Gaal. Uh, Exodus 6.6, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. 
And one of the things I love about the, the imagery in the Bible, um, how many of you have ever been seated and asked somebody to get something for you? Anybody ever done this? Ever done this at home with your children? Yes? This is a wonderful feature that children bring into the home, right? <laughs> Fetch me that picture. Yes, you know, it's just it's wonderful, right? It's just go get this, go get that. This is it's very helpful, um, and that's not the. Um, yeah, you, you just caught up with you, didn't it? It's, did you get the quote? Uh, you didn't get the quote. The quote is from. <laughs> the Princess Bride. Come on. There we go. All right. It's too early for Princess Bride quotes. I remember that. Um, So Exodus 6.6 says, I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. This is not God sitting back, leaning back in his chair, waiting on his angels to bring the people to him. This is him reaching out, leaning into our lives to rescue us, to redeem us, to buy us back. Specifically, he's talking about the Israelites here. But there were several times that they got into bondage in the Old Testament. They literally were owned by another nation. And he would go, buy them back, buy them back, buy them back. He even told this really, really weird story in the book of Hosea. If you want a weird Bible story, Hosea. Um, Hosea's wife, her name was Gomer. You know, okay. And uh, gee whiz, right? The, she, is, she has a very specific job title. Her job title was what? Prostitute. And so she went and got herself sold into post- prostitution. And God told Hosea, go and buy her back. So he went to the auction block and literally bought his wife back out of a life of prostitution and brought her home. And you're going, oh my goodness, I cannot relate to that. That is really, really weird. Until we realize we're Gomer, (laughs) right? We're the one that went and prostituted ourselves with other gods and cheated on our God, and he reached out and bought us back and brings us into his home. And we go, oh, I didn't realize I was bad guy in the story. Yeah, I'm the bad guy in the story. God's Hosea. And it's a beautiful picture of he cares. and He's going to lean in. And he went out seeking her, chasing her down, finding out where she is and making a difference in her life. It is beautiful. So Isaiah 43, 1, the next verse in that section. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have, there's the word, redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Isn't that cool? Um, You only say this to people that you really have a close relationship with. Um, Daniel, you you have a key to my house, right? That that, that implies a certain level of trust and closeness, right? Um, Have I ever said to you, you are mine? No. I would not expect your response to be in the ballpark of anything other than, what did you just say? Right? Um, Jules, have I ever said to you, you are mine? Yes. That means something, right? Yeah. Very special relationship. We don't, we don't call people mine. 
unless there's an intimate connection there that means something. And God looks at his people and says, you are mine. See, redemption is connected with ownership. It's connected with ownership. It's connected with relationship. It's connected with love. It's connected with concern. It's connected with compassion. It's connected with engagement with another. And it's significant. So the next word is uh, gula, which is like gomer spelled backwards or something. I don't know. Ruth 4, 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. This is just buying and selling. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. And you go, okay, cool. Um, I would rather have debit cards, quite honestly. Because um, I don't know about your... Um, cleanliness of your feet, and I'd rather you just kind of own that and me not have to. Um, I mean, can you imagine going to Walmart and buying something, and you get up to the checkout line, and you go, here you go. All right. We're good. Everybody see it? I gave him the shoe. Cool. It's just kind of strange, but that's how they documented the buying and the selling, and this is in the story of Ruth, and there's a whole lot of that going on in the story of Ruth. This <laughs> redemption theme runs through it very strongly. Strong 6299, Pada. Um, Strong 6302. Um, these aren't even in your notes, I don't think. Next one up in your notes is Strong 6306, right? Pidyom. Pidyom. This is redemption or ransom. Uh, it occurs four times. Psalm 49 to 8a. For the redemption of their souls is costly. Right? We, we sometimes uh, think about buying things as. Well, that's just a transaction, right? It's just a transaction. Well, the greater the value of the object, the greater the cost, generally speaking, right? Unless you find just a crazy good deal on overstock.com, and then you go, that's fantastic. But generally, the greater the value of the object, the greater the cost. The value of the object in salvation terms is us. So what does God get for his purchase? Sinners. Really? Sinners, yep. And what does he give for his purchase? His son. And you go, what in the world? There's a reason we call this the great exchange, because it doesn't make any sense. If you, if you add up the sinners and you add up the Savior, the Savior is worth so much more in our eyes. But in God's eyes, somehow, that's a good deal. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I don't know how that works. I don't understand that. But your blank um, is that redemption always costs. It always costs. Um, and if you think about it, this is the thing I love about this definition, God frees. If you think about it, it's more than just God buys something. He's buying it to set it free. When you set something free, it, it can go badly for you or it could go well for you. Right? Um, What's the biggest thing you've ever given away? Somebody help me out with an example. The biggest thing you've ever given away? A car. Was it kind of cool? Where did it come from over here? Somewhere? Yes. Was it kind of fun giving a car away? Yeah. Um, did, do you know the person that has the car now? Okay. Um, how would you feel if the person that got that car took that car and rammed it into a wall as hard as they could? Be like... <laughs> Really? You know, that was a gift, right? What, what would you do that for? 
And sometimes I wonder if, if God's not just puzzled at us at times going, give me this beautiful gift of salvation. Quit ramming it into the wall. There's a better way. Live like I've asked you to live. And, and it's just a... I, I, think, I think if you could see the family that has your car now enjoying that, freeing them up in their lives to do something else, that'd be kind of cool, right? Absolutely. You ever think about them? Have you? Uh, okay. We, we've seen ours a couple of times, hadn't we? The, it was the uh, Sable? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. She, yeah, Julie didn't think I've seen it. So, I uh, should, you want to you try to explain that? I don't know if I can use the right words. Yeah, I have I have two different people that drive silver jeeps that wave at me at Chattanooga in Chattanooga now, because they think I know them. But I just waved because I thought it was you this whole time, that it was totally somebody else. It was it's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, the tundra. I still wave at tundras too. Sorry, I know, I know. It's okay. I'm just kind of locked. When I get dialed in on something, I'm just kind of there. So, all right. So redemption always costs sixty five, sixty one. Uh, Parak. Uh, this is to tear away or to break off. This is the one that was kind of the outlier word for me in this series on redemption. Um, Exodus 32.3. So all the people broke off, that's the word, the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And what did Aaron do with them? No, he didn't. It's not what Aaron said he did. Aaron said it just kind of congealed together in the fire and the calf jumped out. And Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, come on, you know. So Aaron goes, he makes this golden calf. So they, they tear off these earrings out of their ears. Um, and it's this idea of snatching or removing quickly. Um, and then the beautiful thing is this word shows up in Psalm 136, 24. And it says, it's talking about a God, and he rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. He rescues us. This is what redemption is. Redemption with the idea of freeing is going in and snatching up and rescuing. Um, how many of you saw the news this week about Bat Kid? You see Bat Kid? You know what this is about? You should Google it. It's just a fun story. Um, it's a five-year-old kid. He, is he over his cancer? He's in remission. Um, he's in remission for his cancer. And his make-a-wish, it was a make-a-wish deal, right? His make-a-wish thing was I wanted to be Batman for the day. So San Francisco, right? Is that the city it was in? San Francisco went all out. I mean, they had like 10-plus thousand people that showed up to cheer him on and to do different things and and he was they somebody rented out this really fancy car and they called it the batmobile and they drove around in it all day it was fantastic he got pictures president obama made a vine video and said way to go bat kid way to rescue gotham i mean it was they, they got all in no resource was spared the mayor of the city gave him a key and declared him the hero for the day but he rescued people all day and, and that's, the, that's the piece I wanted to get to. Is there's this girl tied up on these, tra- on these uh, trolley tracks, right? With something, with something attached to the back of her. It's supposed to be some kind of a, a, a bomb, I guess, yeah. So he had to walk up and rescue her. And he did, and he gives her this great big hug, and the crowd cheers, and everybody celebrates. And the, the police, the actual real police are there, and they arrest the Joker and carry him away, and, and bat kids just strolling out in front of them. And, <laughs> and you're like, that is awesome. But the reality is, it takes a hero to rescue. 
right? It takes somebody willing to engage, willing to get involved, willing to actually do something, and that's what we have with our God. We have a hero who is willing to engage and willing to be involved. So Strong 7069, this is the, getting close here. Uh, Yes, sir. Tundra? That's not yours, is it? Okay. 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 Thank you. That was perfect timing. That was awesome. I could not have scripted that any better. Um, so, Quana, uh, to get or to acquire, to, to buy. Second Samuel 24, 24. And the king said to Aruna, uh, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. This is uh, King David in the Old Testament. And there was a scenario where... Um, Somebody was going to give him something to offer up to the Lord. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to buy it because I don't give things to God that didn't cost me anything. Um, and and when, we, when we declare that we're going to give ourselves back to God, that God has redeemed us, he has set us free, we are free to choose. And when we choose him with our lives and with our actions, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's reflective of, of the grace that he has given us. So now we flip over to the Greek words. Um, Agarazo, 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Uh, Romans 8.23, down to the next one, uh, Apolytrosis. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So theologically speaking, there's two kinds of redemption. There's the soteriological redemption, where it's the salvation of our souls. And then later on, there is another redemption where this physical body that we struggle with will be exchanged out for something better, right? Version 2. We go, yay. That's awesome. You know? and, and, and there's so redemption in the New Testament. When you see it, and it sounds like it's talking about a physical body, it's talking about that new body that we're going to get one day. So I didn't want you to miss that. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Hebrews 9.15. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. And those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Uh, God's purchase of us in Christ is eternal. I have in my notes, no refunds allowed. You ever bought anything and there was no there's a no refund policy? Yes, I recently bought a, a proportioning valve uh, for my trucks and for my trucks brakes because I was going through a lot of brake fluid. I think I mentioned this a few months ago. Uh, so some guys came over to my house. Thank you very much and uh, put this proportioning valve, which I think basically controls how much pressure goes to each brake line. Okay. I watched him do this for like five hours. That was my summary of the event, so I feel good about that. Um, I bought the part on a website that has a no-refund policy. Part failed in the last two weeks. I didn't tell you guys this, but it failed. Um, and I was reminded very quickly that the part had a no-refund policy. And what happens when something fails with no refund? I have a shiny piece of brass. <laughs> it's just, that's it, right? Um, so I found another website uh, that offers a refund policy on this one if it were to fail. 
And uh, in my mind, I love the fact that God can't choose us and redeem us and set us free and then go, nah, never mind. I want a refund on that. I want to change you out for a better model. I want to switch it up. (sighs) Praise the Lord, right? I mean, that's just amazingly good for us. So we're coming down the stretch here. Uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the blank is Jesus became a curse so he could free me from the law. He became a curse so he could free me from the law. That's, that's just strong language, guys. Um, Strong's 3084, uh, Le true to release or redeem or liberate uh, after, a re- after receipt of a ransom has been made. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. The reason our redemption is eternal is the eternal value of the payment. Lynn, how often does your company have to... Tell us what you do for a living, just kind of in summary, because if you get detailed about it, nobody will understand. So, all right. <laughs> well, everybody falls asleep. Probably, yes. So. I'm an accountant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we do all the financial statements. All right, so how often do you have to do financial statements? Uh, every quarter. Every, why every quarter? Uh, we're required to report the SEC. Okay, so there's a law that says if you want to be a publicly traded company, then you have to give information out this often. Okay, makes sense. Uh, what if somebody gave you a payment that was eternal in nature that you no longer had to report on because it covered every debt the company could ever have? How, would, that, would that ease your reporting requirements in that no amount of charges against could ever deplete this asset and it's got everything that it needs for all time? That'd be kind of handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, where if, so that would, make, that would mean your job. Might be out of a job. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? <laughs> Things don't have to balance in that world. That's easy now. (laughs) Things don't have to balance in that world, and that's the world of soteriology. Things don't balance in soteriological terms. It doesn't make sense because the eternal value of the payment is incredible. And then the last word, uh, latrosis, Hebrews 9.12, not with blood of goats and cows but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So it's it. It's once. It's done. He did it. We don't have to do it again. That's the reason we don't come to church on Sunday mornings and sacrifice bulls and goats and doves and, like, do things with other offering types, right? It's easy. Just move the decimal. Uh, so the understanding, when the sinner repents and confesses faith in Christ, God decrees that the sinner is not guilty. That's justification. And God purchases the sinner in order to free eternally the sinner, that's redemption, to be a treasured possession for him for all time. It's a beautiful thing. We could do six weeks on each one of these words, and we still wouldn't get it all. But you guys wouldn't come for six weeks on each word, so we'll just do one week today. Uh, So that's the lesson for today. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, hang around for just a minute. Um, Do your prayer requests on the sheet. Make sure the name of everybody who was here is documented there, and then we'll... Pick the chairs up and stack them against the wall in stacks of seven when you're done praying as a group. So thanks for coming, guys.